Eli, Eli, lama atsabtani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most likely those words are familiar to you. David said them in Psalm 22, verse 1, and Jesus said them on the cross. However, at some point you've probably felt that way as well. God, how could you let this happen to me? Uh, We feel that way sometimes. Our soul pain is hard to process, so we cry out to the Lord. Jesus felt soul pain. He was the fulfillment of David's words in Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus hung on the cross at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in the haunting cover of darkness and raised his voice with a loud cry and said in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David felt forsaken. Jesus was forsaken. Saints, in the anguish and struggle of our souls, we may feel at times that God has forsaken us, but it is precisely because Christ was actually forsaken that we can be assured that we will never be forsaken, but instead rest securely in God's acceptance and love forever. Psalm 22 is a very important psalm. Uh, It's quoted in the New Testament seven times, and it's alluded to as well in the New Testament. And as you study this song, you find a clear and compelling prophecy of Jesus Christ. In many verses um, of this song, you'll find the striking lyrics that take you beyond David and take you right to the cross. To understand Psalm 22, you need to know something about biblical typology. Now, that's a fancy term, and don't be... Don't be uh, weirded out by by fancy terms. Simply put, typology is a way to interpret the Bible where we find that God has sovereignly chosen an element of the Old Testament to prefigure or foreshadow Christ or something else in the New Testament. The Old Testament element is called the type, and Christ or the New Testament element is called the antitype. The type prefigures or foreshadows the antitype. David, as God's anointed king of Israel, is a type of Christ. As the preeminent king, uh, Christ is the preeminent king. David is a king of Israel. He was a shepherd. He was uh, the leader of God's people. But then there's a preeminent king that David's life points us to, who is the actual uh, antitype. The preeminent Jesus Christ, who is king of true Israel or the church. So, Psalm 22 is David expressing his pain and anguish and trust in God amidst real trouble in his life. And yet, David is a type of Christ here in this text. We, we must look beyond David to the fulfillment of this song in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 is ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is prophecy, but it comes through the personal struggle and the personal anguish of David. So tonight my outline is quite simple. There's four parts to it. The suffering of David, the prayer of David, the prayer of Christ, and the suffering of Christ. The suffering of David, the prayer of David, the prayer of Christ, the suffering of Christ. We begin with the suffering of David. David experienced great trouble Uh, Scan down over the song, you see David groaning, 
finding no rest, calling himself a worm and not a man, saying that he was scorned by mankind and despised by the people. He was being mocked and there was no one around to help him. He felt completely undone. His strength was gone. Evil seemed insurmountable. Have you ever felt more like a worm than a human being? Just in that much pain, that much sorrow, that much struggle. Well, on those days, like David, you might be thinking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me in this? Why is my struggle so intense? David was hurting. He was perplexed in the pain. God seemed distant. God seemed far away. What, what an expression this is of agony, affliction, anxiety. And I think we've all had agony, affliction, and anxiety to some extent. To some extent. It, it hurts. We feel alone. We ask, where is God in this? Why has He left me to do this alone? Well, well why do we feel that way? Because to be weak and to suffer is to be human. That is our human condition, the suffering of David. Secondly, the prayer of David. David prayed, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? We can so identify with David here, can't we? So identify with, with pain. And we can, we can so identify with him in his words that we may overlook David's faith. He expressed his soul pain, but he also trusted God. One, who's he praying to? He's, he's praying to God. He's crying out to God. That is, that's a hint of faith that he's expressing. And two, he said with deep emotion, my God, my God. That, that's personal. That's intimate. That's covenantal. God entered into covenant with David. God made David promises that David would not forget, that David could take to the bank. God was upholding David in his day of trouble. Soul hurt is in this verse. And so is faith. So is faith. I want to ask this question with compassion tonight. Where do atheists and agnostics go with the anguish of their souls? Sadly, their worldview rejects the existence of their soul, gives them no purpose in their soul ache, and provides for them no rational basis to receive any compassion in their soul anxiety. The cosmos is entirely indifferent to their suffering, and therefore they are left alone and with no ultimate validation, no ultimate empathy in their misery. Oh, that unbelievers would come to know the compassion and the comfort of God amidst their anguish. While groaning, David had a rational and loving being to whom he could cry. Does your groaning, your groaning, take you away from God or closer to God, crying out to Him, wanting to be close to Him. You can groan to God and be heading straight away from Him 
Or like David, you can groan to God as you trust Him. And it's a beautiful dance of gut-wrenching and honest prayer mixed with grace-wrought and desperate trust in the Lord. David modeled that really well. Now let's look beyond David to Christ, the prayer of Christ. Gethsemane. The cross was hours away. Matthew said, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. In Gethsemane, Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And then Jesus walked beyond those three men and he fell on his face and he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He was praying his heart out. A prayer from soul pain, soul ache. He was carrying a burden. Well, what cup? The frightening cup of God's righteous fury. God's righteous wrath. Jesus prayed because He knew what He needed to endure on that cross. What caused Jesus Christ's sorrow? Well, of course, we know the science of crucifixion, probably a little bit of it, and it was physically painful. But His sorrow was infinitely magnified by the imminent horror of drinking the just and unrestrained wrath and judgment of God and having God forsake Him, having God abandon Him, having God turn away from Him. The thought of that made Jesus sweat blood. So He prayed. He poured out His heart to God. Now advanced to the cross, bleeding, suffering, and dying, Jesus hung there. And under the cover of darkness, right around 3 p.m., Jesus prayed an astonishing prayer that is shocking to our ears if we're paying attention. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Bearing the infinite burden of the sin of His people. Bearing the incalculable weight of God's judgment in unfathomable anguish. Yet with resolute faith, Jesus was alone. Forsaken by God. God made Jesus sin on that cross. Then poured out the fullness of His righteous and holy fury against sin on His own Son. And God abandoned His Son to bear it all alone. That's how Jesus died. Alone and crushed by the glorious and terrifying wrath and judgment of God. The suffering of David. The prayer of David, the prayer of Christ, and now the suffering of Christ. The suffering of Christ. The cross is a horrendous, horrible instrument of torturous death. But you know what? Many other people endured it. Many people were crucified by a Roman cross. So in that respect, Jesus is not unique. It's not unique. The suffering of Christ was unique in that it was infinitely more than physical pain. It was soul pain. In the devastating blow of the justice of God, He alone could bear it. The Father rejected Him, abandoned Him, cut Him off from communion. And it's mysterious 
Brothers and sisters, it's mysterious. I, I, I don't fully understand how this works, how God can forsake God. I don't have all the answers of how this works out, but God forsook His own Son. Dr. Craig Blomberg said this, Yet shortly before he dies, he apparently senses an abrupt loss of the communion with the Father, which had proved so intimate and significant through his life. Gone. Blomberg called it spiritual separation. And I admit, it, <laughs> it seems incomprehensible for God the Father to forsake or abandon God the Son. And yet God did forsake him. When Jesus absorbed all the sin of God's people, he who knew no sin became sin and therefore became repugnant, became loathsome to God on the cross and therefore was under the law a just recipient of the unbridled justice of God. As Isaiah 53 describes so well, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And crush him he did. His entire life, Jesus knew why he had come. To be crushed beneath the righteous wrath of God for sinners. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not Christ's cry of ignorance or surprise, but an excruciating cry of agony and trust beneath the crushing weight of God's abandonment and justice. Jesus received no mercy on that cross. It was Christ's moment to drink the cup of the judge's fury so that we, His precious people, could drink the cup of the Father's blessings forever. What an exchange. Crucifixion was not used in David's day. They didn't crucify people then. And yet Psalm 22 verse 16 very interestingly says this, they have pierced my hands and feet. What's going on with that? Why is he going there? In his own anguish, David prophesied the crucifixion of Christ. And in his anguish, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled David's prophecy. He was pierced and he was forsaken. The Apostles' Creed talks about Christ's descent into hell. What on earth does that mean? That has perplexed me for a while. I think I have a better handle on it now. Now, so careful thinking is needed here. Jesus did not enter into the physical, eternal place of torment called hell. Here's what the creed means. The Heidelberg Catechism explains it like this. In my greatest sorrows and temptations... I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by His unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which He endured throughout all His sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Now, you need to get that. That's significant. Jesus experienced the anguish, pain, terror, and agony of hell in his soul, on the cross, 
James Boyce offered some helpful words. Hopefully this can confirm this truth in your mind and heart. Boyce said this, According to the teaching of the New Testament, Jesus was indeed forsaken by God while He bore the sin of His people on the cross. This is the very essence of the atonement. Jesus bearing our hell in order that we might share His heaven. Isn't that amazing? Let me read that again. Jesus bearing our hell in order that we might share His heaven. To be forsaken means to have the light of God's countenance and the sense of His presence eclipsed, which is what happened to Jesus as He bore the wrath of God against sin for us. Dear saints, beloved of the Lord, what can comfort you in your greatest sorrows and temptations? Where is your comfort? Brothers and sisters, what can assure you and comfort you? It is that Jesus suffered your hell so that you would enjoy his heaven. He was abandoned by God so that you would be accepted by God. Now, it can just roll off our tongue that Jesus died for my sins and, and, and I can have salvation and we move on. Just rolls off the tongue. But does Christ suffering the wrath and justice of God for you translate into gratitude and good works for you? Do do you combat your Monday morning blues? I have them. Do you have them? I frequently have Monday morning blues. Do you combat those with gratitude that Christ has suffered hell in your place so that you can have sweet communion with God every day, whether in pain or in pleasure? Does that put a bounce in your step? I'll be honest, it doesn't always put a bounce in my step. But it should, right? He took our hell so we could enjoy his heaven. I would love for you to leave here tonight rejoicing in the gospel. So very happy in Christ. And Psalm 22 verse 1 is the key to your happiness. Christ was forsaken by God so that you would be accepted by God. I mean, that's, that's simple to remember, but it's true of you who are in Christ by faith. It is true, and and you need to receive that by faith. You need to receive that with confidence. You need to delight in that reality. Draw from it help for your soul. Draw from it courage. Draw from it peace. Draw from it comfort. Draw from it delight. So tonight I want to end with the gospel, but the gospel from Psalm 22. William S. Plummer said about Psalm 22, this psalm may be called the gospel according to David. I love that. That's really good. David preached Christ. He did. In the Old Testament, he preached Christ. And I love how Plummer articulated the gospel from Psalm 22. So, beloved of the Lord, I want you just to listen to this, take this in, and be encouraged by what Plummer wrote. He, He wrote this. Christ was innocent and holy, kept the law, and perfectly pleased his Father. Yet when he took the place of sinners, assumed their guilt, and bore their punishment, then the wicked of earth and hell were let loose upon him. 
His friends hid, as it were, their faces from him, and even his father left him without succor from the tormentors, and worse than all, without his own comfortable presence. He felt the dreadful sting of death, the sword of justice, the fire of wrath. In his sorrows were manifested love so amazing, condescension so unparalleled, holiness so spotless, justice so inflexible, wisdom so boundless that without the explanations of Scripture we could know nothing satisfactory on the subject. The scripture just opens this up for us. We'd know nothing if God had not revealed it to us in his word. Brothers and sisters, we cannot say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can't say it. We cannot say it. And though our emotion may suggest otherwise, that's very real. I don't mean to to downplay the emotion of these things. Our emotions may suggest otherwise, but God has not forsaken us. The one who was forsaken for you promises you, I will never leave you or forsake you. A promise. He can assure you of that because He was forsaken on your behalf. God God cannot forsake you as long as you are united to Christ by faith because he is bound by an oath. He is bound by a covenant to be your God forever. He will not forsake you. He cannot forsake you as long as you are in Christ by grace through faith. A few of you may not know and trust Christ. I don't know all of your hearts. You might not know and trust Christ. And and you need to understand that after the agony of this life, for those of you who don't know Christ, God will abandon you to suffer His justice forever with no hope of rescue, no hope of relief in hell. But it is not too late. It is not too late to rush to Christ for safety. It's beautiful. Rush to Him. Run to Him. Rejoice as you run. Repent of your sins and put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ alone. And this is what happens. You will be rescued from the wrath and judgment of God and you will find yourself never, ever, ever forsaken by God. You will find yourself loved for. You will find yourself cared for. You will find yourself provided for. Unbelievable infinite love for you who are united to Christ by faith. The truth is beautiful. He was forsaken so that you would be accepted. He was forsaken so that you would be accepted by God. So flee to Christ. Flee to Christ tonight to find in Him a loving Father who will never leave you, never forsake you, not for one moment. That's good news. That's really good news. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for being kind to us in Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we... We look to the cross and we see this horrific event. And yet we can make sense of it because of what you have told us in your word. We don't have to feel weirded out by celebrating 
your son's death because he's not dead anymore. He rose again. And he took all of our sin on him so that we could be accepted by your sovereign grace through faith that you have given us. You provide the means by which we can know you, God. That is so kind. God, we're, we're going to come to the Lord's table to see visibly a picture of the gospel, to be reminded of the cup of wrath that Jesus drank for us and that his blood flowed so that we could be cleansed and forgiven. His body was shredded and broken so that we could be accepted and loved and cared for. Father, you have been so good and I pray that when we believers tonight share in the Lord's Supper together, we will rejoice and know that that we are loved. So remind us, God, and then by your Holy Spirit, would you strengthen our faith? Would you assure us of our salvation as we take the Lord's Supper together? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.